Yeah, it's our headline segment, 18 minutes it is, before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the mighty Metro. Now, as I said, we shift our attention to uh, the unrest of July 2021. And uh, the Human Rights Commission over the last few months or so has uh, been undertaking investigative hearings into what unfolded in KwaZulu-Natal and in Gauteng. And uh, today, uh, the hearings shifted, I guess, uh, to Gauteng and what... uh, uh, unfolded here in this province and uh, uh, to tell us a bit more about this joined on the line by Gashul Brooks he speaks on behalf of the South African Human Rights Commission. Gashul good evening to you and welcome. Thank you and good evening to the listeners as well. Gashul thank you very much uh, for joining us and I want us maybe just to uh, talk briefly through I guess the first stage of these hearings and maybe just the terms of reference what do these hearings want to uncover that might be fundamentally different to the report that we saw coming out of the presidency uh, sometime last week or the week before that? Which I think is a great question, um, considering that, uh, you know, there's already this thought, I think because both of them obviously deal with the issue related to the July unrest. Yes. Um, there's already this assumption that there's a conflation or duplication of some sort, and that's not the case. The South African Human Rights Commission has a specific constitutional mandate uh, to protect, promote, as well as monitor the attainment of human rights. Sure. And uh, we're not looking into the criminality issues. We're not looking at the strict executive or otherwise um, accountability that's at play, unlike obviously the um, expert panel, which, which made findings in that particular space. What we are looking at is, are the human rights violations that occurred mm. during the actual unrest. And I'm, I'm sure you... Uh, I'm sure anyone would realize that numerous um, human rights violations occurred from the right to equality, freedom of movement, um, freedom and security of the person. And of course, most tragically, more than 300 people lost their lives, which means that we had most certainly had a violation of of the right to life. Mm. And that is the the mandate of the commission in this particular instance. That is what we are investigating. Yeah. Talk to me about, I guess, the hearings as they've unfolded in Guazulu Natal. Uh, I think many South Africans would have watched uh, on the SABC uh, some of the hearings as they've unfolded, um, and maybe some of the, uh, I guess, um, you know, issues that were uncovered there that might give us a sense of what uh, is likely to unfold in Gauteng over the next few weeks. Indeed. Um, look, and, and I think that we, we can see similarities between the Gauteng leg as well as the KwaZulu Natal leg. Now, starting with the KwaZulu Natal leg, um, we, we started off by hearing from affected communities and members of those particular communities. We also heard from various, uh, you know, chambers of commerce and business uh, councils and business organizations. We heard from civil society. We heard from community leaders. And then, obviously, we, we also heard from political leaders and p- political heads that were responsible. Um, we heard from uh, the the uh, police commissioner, Ketla Sitole, the national P- police commissioner, um, Ketla Sitole. Uh, today we heard from Minister Bekele, but we also heard from him previously uh, during the KwaZulu-Natal leg. Um, we heard from the current Speaker of Parliament, who was then the Minister of Defence. So it extended, you know, across all facets of society, because I think not only were people's human rights impacted, but we should also take cognizance of the fact that um, ultimately, uh, you know, people were also responsible for protecting those rights or enacting those particular rights. And, and um, there was, to some extent, a failure there. And we need to investigate that as well. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, today, I guess, as you kick things off, uh, you started with the notable. Um, the police minister, Peggy Tele, uh, took to the stand. Uh, and I guess I'm quite interested also in sort of the line of questioning that you've seen for different types of actors, uh, be it the group that would have ostensibly been defending its own property in places like Phoenix, right through to uh, members of the executive. Um, I mean, sort of w what's the line of, of questioning? You did say it's not a criminal inquiry, but you're trying to make sense of how these violations of human rights unfolded. Look, I think similar to uh, what we saw with the expert panel, there is obviously, obviously not going to sit down and try to decipher with the Minister of Police or any, any other member um, that has appeared before uh, the commission thus far, you know, during these hearings on, on, on which rights they may have played a role in, in uh, violating. But it's looking at the facts and, and trying to understand based on the, fa on the facts, especially when we look at um, uh, political heads and political leaders that can be held to account where the failures were and what they failed to do and then in impacted on our various human rights. And um, I mean, looking at today, for example, uh, for anyone that followed today's proceedings, the focus was largely around the issue of the lack of intelligence and intelligence, um, the role that the police then played and whether it was adequate and, and sufficient, whether there was um, you know, enough boots on the ground and whether the leadership um, played the, the, the role that they need to play, not just in terms of their oath of office, but what their constitutional mandate actually is. Because like the South African Human Rights Commission, the police services also have a clear um, constitutional mandate. So those are some of the issues that we are looking into. And then after that, obviously, during the deliberations, that is when um, the three commissioners who make up the hearing panel are going to sit down and look at the actions and, and the evidence that we've received as well as the testimony that we have received sure. and say, but hang on a second, the, these are then the rights that may have been violated and these are the individuals that played a role in those spaces. And then what happens thereafter? Um, well, we are going to draft a report and um, I think the assurance is I can't give a, a timeline at the stage and say that it will take us X amount of time because obviously, as, as everyone would be aware, there's plenty of um, oral evidence to, to sift yeah. through, written submissions to sift through. Um, and, and well, further, well, Gashwell, maybe I'm it? asking a different question. Um, uh -huh. So the question I'm asking is not necessarily around the timeline. Which then in turn um, hold the force of law. And if any party feels aggrieved or disagrees with the decision of the commission, they need to take it to court and, and um, have, you know, take it on review. Um, it will obviously be in terms of, of our powers and what the Constitution says. And I think in a lot of instances, there will be directives um, and there will be recommendations made to government in terms of some of the actions that they need to take uh, account of and, and uh, you know, some of the things that they would have to do at their end. So those recommendations have force of law? Is that what yes, they do. And the Constitutional Court, I think, has given us clear directives in terms of that. Um, if we recall, not too long ago, uh, the public protector herself had made recommendations. Those recommendations were ignored by certain members of the executive and mm -hmm. the matter went all the way through to the constitutional court where sure. the court found that um, if you disagree with the chapter nine institution, um, in this instance, obviously it was the public protector, um, you need to take it on review. You can't simply yeah. just merely ignore it. I guess, the, I guess, Gashol, there's another dimension to investigative work of this kind. Um, and we, I think we saw it with, uh, the reports not only on the Zondo Commission, but even 
of that panel that was investigating what happened in July. Um, this expectation of releasing to the public these reports. But I'm also quite interested, I guess, in the process as you conclude the hearings in KZN, whether you or not you are making the transcripts of some of those discussions publicly or easily accessible to the public. And if not, um, maybe the reasons why you wouldn't do that. Well, at this stage, not. Um, because I think that, you know, we, we need to take a account of two things. As I mentioned, that there are obviously, there is oral evidence being presented in front of the commission at this particular stage, but there are also many other entities that have provided uh, written accounts um, where the commission doesn't necessarily deem it necessary for those individuals to appear before the commission um, and, and, and face the questioning. I think this is not an adversarial process. This is, of course, as you know, a national inquiry. It's a hearing uh, that the commission is holding out of its own accord. It's not adversarial. It's not a court process whereby you have to prove your case. It is trying to determine what the facts are that are being presented in front of us. So what I'm saying ultimately is, is that the transcripts and everything else um, that we are going to, that we have collected in terms of evidence, ultimately is going to inform the report that will be then subsequently released. It's not really a process that is meant to be scrutinized similar to how you would a court case um, and, and try to decipher it, because I think that there's a lot of written and submission evidence that the public would not be privy to at this particular stage. Why, why, why would you not make the public privy to that? I mean, if it's a public process, uh, as you suggest, yeah. not adversarial, but really aimed at trying to make sense of what had happened you know, over a very terrible time in, in the history of this country, why, why would those transcripts not be made available? Because I think that, I mean, if, if we look at a court proceeding, as much as a court proceeding may be a public event where you could go, you, me, and, my, you know, and anyone else can go sit in the gallery and watch the proceedings. Yes. There are many papers that are being filed with judges, with the court itself, etc., etc., that's not necessarily privy to the public. I'm not saying that those that information per se is classified or deemed secret or, or anything of that nature. What I'm just saying is, is that we're not going to necessarily take reams and reams of paper and, and, and dump it onto the public and say, you know, you go through it. What I'm saying is, is that we're collecting all of this evidence, both oral as well as written submissions. And I think that we also heard from uh, the police minister today who raised concerns with regards to some documentation um, and he raised that concern during the hearing um, and whether this is classified or protected information. Mm. There's also information of that nature. Yeah. There's also information that we're going to receive from um, the state security. We do not know what is the nature of it. Is it protected? Is it classified information yes. that will also then in turn inform uh, the particular process? So what I'm saying is, is that it is not possible for the commission at this stage to take every last bit of evidence that we've received and put it out into the public domain, including a transcript. No, I, I mean, I think you make the point, um, and, and I'm quite sympathetic to it, that there would be different kinds of information that are shared with you. Uh, but I also don't want, I guess, the court processes to be the template with, with which you see the question I'm asking. I, I think it's a broader question around sort of transparency of processes of this kind. Um, so, I mean, let me give you just a, a random example that might be unrelated. When the HEHA Commission undertook its hearings into fee-free higher education a few years ago. Um, those transcripts were made available on the Department of Justice's website. Um, and surely the idea there was to say some of the confidential information won't be shared in the transcripts that are made public, but the spirit within which they are shared is one of sort of open governance, transparency, 
especially in so far as you know the discharge of certain commissions is concerned um, and i would think that the human rights commission i guess would take a similar approach I mean, that's in terms of the process. And unfortunately, yeah. I'll have to consult with my, my colleagues who are you know, okay. running the, the legalities of, of this particular process. I think really what I'm trying to explain is, uh, you know, to, to the best of my ability. I mean, all too often when we watch these processes, the first thing that we think of, um, and very simply put, is either American TV <laughs> and what a courtroom setting really looks like. Sure, sure. Um, which it doesn't always necessarily reflect reality and how things actually yeah, work. Yeah. But second to that, also, I think we really do need to understand what is the aim and the purport of this particular hearing. And I think that there's, to some extent, because of the various processes that are being undertaken as we speak, that there may be a conflation. And I understand that the public... Um, the broader public, the civil society included, the media included, you, me, and everyone else, want to see accountability out of this, right? Um, we want to see people being held to account, people, um, whether they're losing their jobs, whether they're going to, uh, you know, whether the criminal charges are laid or whatever the case is. That's the type of action that we would like to see. But this process in itself, what the commission is doing at this stage is mm. to look at the human rights environment and it is important for people rolling their eyes right now thinking to themselves it's a wishy-washy process it is important that at all opportunities we look at our human rights we look at the state's responsibility sure. to uphold those human rights we look at private entities responsibility to hold up those human rights and of course uh, our own duty to hold up each other's human rights and make sure that everyone is playing according to the rule book to put it quite bluntly. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I'm using all of those examples is that if we listen back to what happened in KwaZulu-Natal, we heard the role that the private security industry played in this, how residents, for example, barricaded themselves within their own communities and then allow people in on the basis of race, even if those people were resident within those particular communities. And those are deeply concerning. These aren't things that we can gloss over and say, no, um, they need to, you know, we only need to take people to prison or we only need to get people fired. We need to, you know, we need to guard against what's going on uh, when it comes to violations of, of the basic human rights that we have in our Bill of Rights. Yeah. Last one, Gashol, before I let you go, uh, I think many of our listeners would have been following what happened out at Jan Fulun uh, last week. Uh, and I guess that's certainly another matter that, uh, as the commission, you are looking at. What, what's the latest on that one? Um, at the moment, our Gauteng office is uh, looking into that particular matter. You know that this hearing is, is taking uh, quite a bit of resources and energy and focus. Um, yes. so, so, so to be honest with you, I mean, that's where, uh, you know, 99% of my concentration has been for the day. I've unfortunately been able to follow up with our Gauteng uh, provincial office, but they are looking into this matter and they have launched an investigation into it. I know that uh, during the course of last week, um, the Gauteng Provincial Office and uh, uh, the, the manager, uh, Buang Jones, who is also one of the evidence leaders in the hearing, was actually uh, in Randfontein to investigate this particular matter. So uh, we will keep the public abreast in terms of uh, and updated in terms of what our actions are there. Casual Brooks, thank you very much for your time. Well, all the best and thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Uh, that there is Casual Brooks. He speaks on behalf of the South African Human Rights Commission and uh, yeah, speaking to us uh, this evening for our headline segment. We take a brief break now. On the other side, uh, Skismamela's voice notes.